That's good. I'm going to level with you. We can't get married at all. Why not? Well, in the first place, I'm not a natural blonde. Doesn't matter. I smoke. I smoke all the time. I don't care. Well, I have a terrible past. For three years now, I've been living with a saxophone player. I forgive you. I can never have children. We can adopt some. But you don't understand, Osgood. Uh, I'm a man. Well, nobody's perfect. Hi everyone, I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. Welcome back to 15 Minute Film Fanatics, the podcast where Dan and I watch movies separately and we discuss them for the first time. I can't believe that we're discussing this film for the first time, that we've, we've never actually talked about it. This one we truly have never talked about, never. even in private conversation. It's 1959, Some Like It Hot, written and directed by Billy Wilder, a film that would never be made today. This is one of my top five favorite comedies of all time. I see it once a year, maybe. Dan had not seen it. Dan, how long had it been? 15 years, 20 years. That's that's incomprehensible. It's unbelievable. To me. Yeah, incomprehensible. And the reason we're doing it, by the way, is because we got a request from Tom in New Jersey. Said you guys have to do something like it hot. So Tom, we hope you enjoy our conversation. So I'll go first about our part one. We always talk about our overall take. You said it could never be made today, but I want to think about Hollywood remakes. We live in an age of like terrible and shameless remakes and reboots. We have the great one shot. If you want to check it out where Mike rants about the Lord of the Rings series on Amazon. And, and that rant becomes more and more prophetic with each passing day. When we read about each new series coming out, um, you know, Hollywood, Hollywood producers are so shameless that they will remake anything, even if it's not, even if it's not an originally good movie. So you think about most remakes are terrible, right? Like Play of the Apes, you know, Arthur, I'm just making a list, The Pink Panther, you know, even with Steve Martin, like, why would you remake that, right? Um, Alfie, The Wicker Man, right? Um, Psycho, we're going to remake Psycho, you know, like shot for shot for shot. Um, there are a few remakes though that are actually good. I'm going, I'm going somewhere with this. I could think of two remakes that are actually better than the originals, right? Ocean's Eleven. Mm-hmm. And True Grit. Agree. I think both of those movies are, are better than the original. And then I started to make another list and I said, okay, what are some movies that will never be remade ever, right? Ever, no matter how shameless people are. So we've had the Ghostbusters remake and the reboot. What will never be, The Godfather will never be remade. Casablanca will never be remade. Citizen Kane will never be remade. Now those won't because they are like either in the pantheon, right? But you know that somebody has pitched a remake of, of, you know, of Casablanca. When I was a kid, there was a TV show called Casablanca and David Soul from Starsky and Hutch who played Hutch was Rick Blaine. I think it was on like three or four episodes. So there's no, there's no bottom to what people do to make a buck. Right. But think about some like it hot. It's inconceivable. By the way, double indemnity was remade. Somebody remade, there was a remake of Double Indemnity in 1973 with Richard Crenna. Gratefully, I never saw it. Yeah, as the Walter, and, and, and you can go on YouTube. I posted on our Twitter thing and see like all the shot for shot comparisons. But why hasn't Some Like It Hot been remade? And I was thinking of that because it's, it's imminently filmable. The plot's really easy. You know, two guys witness a crime. They have to go under, you know, they run from the gangsters. One jumps out of a cake with a machine gun. They dress up as women. Like it, it's so, it, it's right there. It seems like it's low hanging fruit for a shady producer, right? So I thought, well, why hasn't the business remade? And I thought to myself, like, maybe 
that if it was remade today, it would be too heavy handed and that the world has changed so much when you watch this, but the film hasn't. I think when you watch something like it hot, it's like you're really in a time machine to 1959 where the jokes all take on meaning that, that they, that they, they couldn't have meant when Billy Wilder wrote it. And it's just interesting, like how no one has touched this. I mean, there's a musical of it called Sugar, right? That ran for a long time on Broadway, read for like 500 performances, but it's never been remade as a film. And I think that's really interesting. I think it's very difficult to have two protagonists who are as charming together and as good a team as Tony Curtis and Jack Lemon. Jack Lemon, no matter what he's joking about, is the ultimate harmless joker. There is no way, there's no context in which you could take Jack Lemon seriously. The Apartment, actually, also directed by Billy Wilder, we've covered on this yeah. podcast. It's got it's got some serious subject. Yeah, matter. sure, you take him seriously. You cannot, yeah. but no, you you take his love seriously. You take his emotion seriously. But there's no gag or punchline that that's taken seriously. He's like the ultimate mensch in whatever movie he's in, which is that's very interesting here, and. Uh, he and Tony Curtis are just are just such a good team. There's such brilliant chemistry between them and Marilyn Monroe that I think that that's that's one of the reasons it would be it would be very difficult to find other actors who gel together the way that they gel together with that kind of chemistry. And of course, in a Billy Wilder film, it's it's all about the f- flying lines between the three of them. I don't I don't think that even just from a technical perspective, it could be done even if anybody wanted to. Uh, I mean, this this is as harmless as the Forest of Arden. This is all uh, this is all Shakespeare when it when it comes to uh, men as women uh, and trying to understand how rough women have it. And so I think that this is this is just a unique point in time but its themes are timeless, but I don't think you could, I don't think you could remake it. And I don't think anybody has tried. No, I, I agree. I, and I agree on both counts. It was just funny that I thought to myself that like, why couldn't you make this today? And I think today it will be impossible to do without with trying to satisfy all the audiences. Yeah. This, this exists again in a, in a vacuum of yeah. harmlessness. I think in a time when things were not, were not taken seriously or there, there was no interpretive value. Um, when, when Freud came to America, Right. He said that he he brings the great disease with him. And and that's essentially, you know, that's that's what you get with a theoretical reading of every film. Now, we're a little bit guilty because we read movies all sure. the time for fun as our hobby, but but not in the same way. Um, and so I, I think that that this film existing as an entertainment and as a tightly made aesthetic entertainment uh, is is a unique thing. Yeah, absolutely. All right. In part two, we'll talk about our favorite moments. So welcome back in part two. We like to talk about our favorite moments. Mike, you must have a million of them, but what, what's one for today? My first and, and favorite scene is when Jack Lemmon is just trying to have a quiet drink on the train. And one of the girls finds out that he's got a little bit of something to drink. And, and all of a sudden it becomes a huge production. So they'll literally be murdered if they're discovered. And so, of course, you've got the classic upping of the stakes. You've got the like the, the house mother on the train who's trying to get them all to keep quiet. And it's it's just a big sleepover. And there's just endless gags. It's the kind of thing that Billy yeah. Wilder loves. Um, it's and and the way that they shoot Jack Lemon um lying inside of lying inside of his bunk versus the rest of the car. 
um, is just absolutely hilarious uh, over the over the little compartments. There's like random legs that come in at him. Yep. There's random hands that grab at him. So there's the whole movie is just him getting heckled by by random pieces flying in and out. And, and that's uh, he's the ultimate straight man for that. Well, what's great is that he thinks he's going to have his time with Marilyn Monroe by herself. And she says, oh, you have this. Oh, I, so-and-so has vermouth. We can make Manhattan's. And he's like, no, no, no. It becomes a whole party up there. So you can see what he's thinking of and what Sugar is thinking of are, are two different things. They're, they have two totally different definitions of a party. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and right? it's, 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 uncle- it's unclear how he plans to achieve what he would like to achieve <laughs> without giving away the game. Right. And we can't give it away because then the movie's over. He's he's thought it out about as much as Wiley Coyote has thought about getting the Roadrunner and what we, he would actually do with the Roadrunner if he right. caught him. And and the cla- that classic frustration is exactly like a, a Wiley Coyote cartoon. <laughs> That's exactly it. It's Chuck Jones directing the scene of the trade card because, like, okay, you get her in your train. Now what now what do you do? Well, uh, I'll, I'll figure that out when I get there, right? So it's funny you said that because my moment is later on where Tony Curtis is, is dressed up as Cary Grant and he's on the, he's on the uh, ship and he has to pretend that it's his and where Marilyn Monroe, and we'll talk about her later. I, I have stuff to say to her about the end. When Marilyn Monroe starts kissing him and says, was that anything? Was that anything? And I think that that scene is so funny for a bunch of reasons. First of all, it's wonderfully comic, right? You have a guy pretending to be a woman who's now pretending to be a millionaire who's actually pretending to be Cary Grant, who, of course, was Archibald Leach in real life, who invented this guy called Cary Grant. So it's hilarious that there's like, it's so true how much men will lie and put on fake fronts to do anything to to impress a woman. That's the meanest impersonation of Cary Grant, by the way, in any movie. Well, it's so funny because we're, we're we're with Tony Curtis. He says, "My heart is filled with Belvacane," and I can't I can't do the voice. But what I love about the moment where she kisses him and says, "Was that anything?" is that he's there. Marilyn Monroe's on the couch with him. She keeps kissing him. He's obviously excited. He's on a boat with Marilyn Monroe. And he has to say, no, no, oh, maybe, maybe a little things in my toes. And I thought to myself, what's so funny about that is Marilyn Monroe's there with you. How was, that was fine. He's trying to be super cool. When of course you'd want to just start screaming and running around the room. Like, I can't believe I'm on this boat with Marilyn Monroe. And she's, she's the one kissing me and asking me, was that anything? And she's doing all the work, so to speak. And it's just so funny how, how Billy Wilder cuts to the quick of, of, of the, the male mind and just says, no, no, I'm, I'm very cool. Uh, you know, yeah. Was she pretty? Oh, she was kind of good looking. I think so. And that's that's why I think that this is so this is so timeless. It's it's as Shakespearean, as I said, as the force yeah. of Arden or as anything um, that happens in Twelfth Night, because it's it's really about uh, the it's about the essences of either frustration or love uh, in in the two scenes. And of course, players playing the scene, playing a scene, playing a scene. Yeah. And of course, all the Shakespearean women were also played by men. Right. Um, and so there's it's extra Shakespearean. And I, I think that that's why I like this so much, because it's it's really not just gags. It's anarchic comedy. It's it's truth taking place outside of the normal society. Right. That's why they have to be at a beach resort. I think. Right. They, they couldn't have gone to anywhere else and have this be the place. But it, it's it's that vacation space that's not quite reality where all yeah. this has to happen, where, where a lot of, of the rules go away. A lot of the rules go away. Right. Like and uh we, we'll get to the we'll get to where the rules go and how far they go in the end. Oh, 
Okay, so in part three, we always talk about the ending or the title or the key takeaways. Dan, what do you what do you make of of either the ending or the key takeaways? Well, my big takeaway on this is how great Marilyn Monroe was in the film. And you know, if you read a lot about this film, she apparently drove Billy Wilder crazy. She drove she drove Tony Curtis crazy, doing take after take after take. Um, Jack Lemmon, I think, was a little more sympathetic toward her. But what it reminded me was, and I'm going to throw a real curveball out here at you. Have you ever done Dennis Johnson? Mm-hmm. So he has a book called Nobody Move. And it's a short, short crime novel. And all I remember it, I don't remember much about it, but all I remember is there's a terrific, terrific line in it that occurred to me watching Some Like It Hot. And then the book, uh, one of the ca- a character, a guy says to a woman, they're about to commit this robbery or this crime. And he says, I'm, uh, she says to him, I'm really nervous. And he looks at her and says, beautiful women don't get nervous. And I've never forgotten it because I think it's a great line. And I think that in this film, you watch her. And of course, the men are all nervous around her. You know, Sugar, the character, is, is never really, really nervous. She tries to do her best. But I think it's great to watch and to understand. If you want to understand what the big fuss was about Marilyn Monroe, I think this is the movie to see because she has such poise and such screen presence that you can't imagine her being nervous in real life. Now, I know from reading all the biographies and, and, and reading other things, that she, she, was, she was very, very nervous and insecure as are we all. But I think what makes the movie work is that we get these little moments of vulnerability about her, like with the part where she says, um, you know, a no guy is worth it. And you get these little moments where all of a sudden you're like, whoa, like that, that almost doesn't belong in this anarchic comedy. And I think that that was my big takeaway was, was how great it is to watch Marilyn Monroe interact with these two guys. The reason they didn't fire her and didn't replace her is because you cannot fire her and you cannot replace her. And that's <laughs> evident through the whole film. Yeah. She can turn it on. She can turn it off. The takes that they took are of her are are, are act absolutely perfect. Yeah, it's not just beauty. There's there's nobody charming enough or anarchic in and of themselves that you could replace them with. She's she's like the Harpo of this movie. There's <laughs> there's no there's no movie if she's not yeah. in it as much. I and I love Tony Curtis and you know how I feel about Jack Lemmon. Jack Lemmon's like in all my favorite movies. Right, but you can't get around the charisma of Marilyn Monroe. It's right there. It's right there. So that would be a great thing. If if somebody out there, you know, if you're wondering what's the big fuss about Marilyn, like watch this and you'll see. So what was your, what was your take on the ending or the title? There's no better ending than the last line of this movie. If you're Billy Wilder and IAL diamond who helped him write the screenplay, you're in a quandary, which is the structure of the film is that you have to continually up the stakes without giving away the game. They have to be simultaneously more women and less women without being the most woman and then being revealed. But there's got to be some kind of final revelation for a conclusion. So Jack Lemmon is giving Osgood all the reasons why they can't get married, making up every single thing. And he just doesn't, he just doesn't care. I don't care. I don't care. That's fine. We can work on that. We'll get through that. Finally, Osgood, I'm a man. And he says, nobody's perfect. I'm sure you can find a clip of it. If that's all you watch of this movie, just watch it because it's the only way that you can get a that you can get a happy ending out of this movie, but with the with the perfect maintenance of tension because it's never explained what that means. Well, he ups the stakes again. I think that's even that, even that won't stop because well, nobody's perfect. It, it, this whole movie, the structure of this movie is just like a poker game and both sides just keep raising each other. And yeah. finally that's, that's the all in. And, and before you find out what's going to happen, uh, the movie ends and it's, yeah. it's ultimately it's, it's funny and it's warm 
And it's as a comedy, it's very satisfying. Yeah, it absolutely is. So if you haven't seen a long time, like, like as was the case with me, I urge you go out, you know, go out and see, uh, you know, rent it, watch it. Some like it hot. It's definitely worth the time. So we hope you enjoyed our conversation about it. You could follow us on Twitter at 15MN Film. You could also follow us on Letterboxd at 15MN Film. You could let us know what you want us to see. This was a request show. We take requests. Let us know what to watch. Leave us reviews. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye.